BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And Tom Hartman here with you. I want to start out with Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd has come right out and said, you know, we're being used for propaganda. And that's a pretty amazing statement. What's most amazing to me is that it took him all these years to figure it out that the Republicans, when they come on his program, aren't just there to say, oh, well, you know, we believe in small government. You know, it would be a good thing if government just got out of the way. You know, the old Reagan rhetoric, right? Which, at the time, there were those of us saying, you know, what he's saying really is deregulate these big companies and let them throw more poison into the air so they can make more profit even though we die of cancer. And the media didn't get that. You know, but at least back then it was like, oh, and we think lowering taxes will actually increase revenues. And, and, you know, the rest of us were going, it's never happened in history. But, you know, Chuck Todd's predecessors, David Gregory and before him, Mr. Russert and, you know, on it goes. They were all like, OK, you know, next question. So, so Chuck Todd appears to have gotten had, had an epiphany, which raises an interesting question. If... Chuck Todd's realization that the Republicans come on his show on Meet the Press on Sundays, and not just his show, you know, obviously all the Sunday shows, because they come on and they all say essentially the same thing. And more often than not, they are either flat out lies or distortions of the truth that are functional lies. His realization that he's being used this way, you know, what, what's going to come out of it? And, and how does this serve America having such a dysfunctional news media? I mean, do you trust the news now? Do you trust the weekend shows? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Or have you given up on them? You know, and what do you think that Chuck Todd and the rest of the, of the hosts of these Sunday shows should be doing with their guests? I've noticed that there are a few hosts, principally Joy Reid and Rachel Maddow, who will occasionally, and I mean like maybe once a month or something, very rarely, but nonetheless will occasionally have a Republican or a conservative on. And when they start lying, they will immediately say, well, you know, that's just not true. And I've seen this on CNN, too. I, you know, Van Jones, you know, do that a number of times. But, but the problem that Chuck Todd and these other guys have, and it's going to be a huge problem going into this election year, because there's objective lies and then there's kind of 
subjective lies, like when somebody says, well, I think Joe Biden is corrupt, for example. And really, they're, you know, what they're telling, what they're trying to say is that they've bought into this Republican story that Joe Biden somehow, you know, got rid of a corrupt prosecutor in Ukraine because the guy was looking into his son, which was not true. I mean, it's just on its face, not true. And yet there's 1,400 ads over on Facebook right now from the Trump campaign that say that. It's a lie. And so, you know, these guys are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because in their minds and in their theory of broadcast, these are, these are what are called guest-driven shows. And not to pull the curtain back too much or get inside radio and inside television, but basically there's a couple of different kinds of shows. There's what's called host-driven shows, which is what Rush Limbaugh does. He very rarely has guests. He takes a few calls, but mostly you hear what he has to say. And that's pretty much how I run this show. And the host-driven shows, and that's what Rachel Maddow does on television. The first half hour of her entire show, she typically doesn't have a single guest. That's a host-driven show. You build a relationship with the host. It takes a lot of work to do a host-driven show. They're the most difficult kind of shows to do because you've got to do a hell of a lot of prep. But anyhow, there's host-driven shows. Then there are guest-driven shows, which is like the Sunday shows, where you know the show only exists because of the guests. And then there are news-driven shows, which is like the news shows that you see in the morning on TV. You know, Poppy Harlow and Jim Shuto, or however he says his name on CNN, those kind of news-driven shows. And then there's caller-driven shows, which is like what Ed Schultz used to do, where, you know, all he did was just take calls all day long, three hours a day, five days a week. And, you know, his slogan was, where America comes to talk. And I miss Ed. Ed was a good guy and a friend. Uh, you know, he died of a heart attack well, a year before last, I guess now. And, you know, he's been gone for a while. But anyhow, that was, that was caller-driven. Those are the four kinds of basically talk radio and television that are done. And caller-driven is what you see on C-SPAN, where they take call, you know, calls from listeners for an hour or two hours or three hours. So if you're running a guest-driven show like Meet the Press, and you can't get guests, you're out of business. I mean, Rachel Maddow could do her show and never have a guest. I frequently do this show without a single guest. But if I was doing a show like Meet the Press, where all I did was interview people, it would be a flaming disaster if people would not come on the show. And that's what Chuck Todd is looking at. If he calls these Republicans on their lies, they may stop showing up for his show. And if they stop showing up for his show and only Democrats show up because he's only willing to put on people who tell the truth, then it's going to look like his show is of buying four Democrats. And he's going to start losing Republican viewers. They'll all start migrating to Fox. On the other hand, if he tries to call them on their BS, they'll just come up with new lies. So what's he to do? Well, I have a few suggestions. And what inspired me was a piece that Hunter wrote for the Daily Kos, in which he raises these same issues and offers some of the same suggestions. He actually goes a little farther than I do on this. So his suggestions are, number one, and my suggestion as well, number one, don't run these shows live. Why does Face the Nation meet the press? Why do these shows have to be live? Why can't they be recorded an hour before air? So that the word Chiron is an inside television word, but it's in use so often that most people know what it is. It used to be called lower thirds, or they, they have been called lower thirds as well. It's, it's called a Chiron because this machine was invented back in the 50s that, by Mr. Chiron, I guess, you know, that, that, that would put text on the screen. 
But anyhow, it would give, you know, if the show was pre-recorded, it would give the producers or the fact checkers or the people, you know, working in the, on the show a chance to look it up and say, oh, Ted Cruz is lying through his teeth. And then the Chiron could say, this is what Ted Cruz is saying is not true or could actually dispute it. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is to try to balance the liar with somebody who's going to tell the truth. Now, that's pretty much what, the, what many of the shows have, have gone to. In other words, if they've got a Republican on, they'll have a Democrat on as well, or they'll have a panel or something like that. You know, I think what Chatad does is he goes to a panel afterwards. But if you're, if you're trying to balance it, then you're giving credibility to the liar by having the non-liar on there, which is you know, kind of a, a, a tough one. You could ask serious follow-up questions. You could stop. Just say, hey, wait a minute. I know that's a lie. We're going to stop right here. I'm not going to ask any more follow-up questions until we dig into this. Now, are you lying because you came on this show specifically to tell lies? Or are you lying because somebody's paying you? Or are you lying because you've been told that if you don't say these things, the president will attack you and you'll lose your next election? Why are you saying this? Senator Cruz, why are you saying this, Senator Graham? Kellyanne Conway, why are you saying this? What's in it for you? Now, that's typically never done because that's considered a personal attack, right? That's, that's an ad hominem. That's a, you know, you, basically what you're saying to the guests. And I've, I've said this a few times to my guests, and, and I've learned that it typically really upsets them, number one. And number two, they don't want to come back on the show when you do it. So it's probably not the best way to do it. But boy, would it be delicious, right, if they did. So I get conservatives on the program all the time. In fact, we try to get conservatives on the program just so that we can provide people with a template for how to talk back to crazy Uncle Ralph at Thanksgiving dinner or the guy in the cubicle next to you who listens to Rush Limbaugh all day long. So anyway, you know, the state of our media and the reason why I raise this, I mean, because there's so much going on. The state of the media is such a crucial issue right now because this is an election year. And the lies are flying fast and furious right now in social media, on Facebook and Twitter in particular. And they're starting to fly, well, and they've been good, fast and furious on Fox News for, for the better part of the entire Trump presidency. But we've got to do something. Or the, the media has to do so. They've got to clean up their act. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I, I guess I'm pretty amazed that Chuck Todd even acknowledged this. You know, tip of my hat to him on that. Now, let's see what he's going to do with it. Robbie in Portland, Oregon. Happy New Year, Robbie. Hey, Happy New Year, Tom. I just, you mentioned the media. You know, I got to say... I'm turning 30 this year, which is, I guess, pretty young to maybe some of the base that is listening to this. But the news has entirely changed. I first got all wrapped up into politics when I saw George Bush lose the popular vote. He won Florida with complete, you know, general uh, election fraud, I should say. Yeah. But that's when I got really involved. I started watching politics. I was campaigning for John Kerry. And I believe that was when I started noticing news changing right around 2004. Yeah. 2006 is when basically the ma- mainstream media started taking, I, it seemed like they were kind of following Fox's directive. Mm. Uh, you know, Fox had Sean and Hannity 
which was, as you were saying, they had the left, they had the right, uh, you know, and, and they, what they turned it into is, and, and now what it is. Oh, you mean Hannity and Combs. Yeah. Oh, Hannity and Combs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gosh, and I then, and then Hannity got sick and tired of Combs uh, telling the truth and, and got him fired, basically. Oh, and Combs wasn't even good at it. He was just always getting steamrolled over, you know, Hannity because, you know, Hannity was uh, a lot louder. But what I find is, you know, what we're witnessing right now is I I don't trust the Democrat news either. You're very forgiving for Democrats, Tom. I am not. I, I look for the truth. And unfortunately, I see Rachel Maddow and, and I see infotainment. I see nothing but emotion driven uh, news telling people how to think. I don't see news. I took journalism when I was in high school and I don't see the same practices being practiced anymore on our national level. But I, I wanted to I would bring not, up. I would not disagree with that with a lot of shows. I, you know, and, and I realize that there are some areas that Rachel just never touches upon. And I'm, you know, things like net neutrality. And I'm um, assuming that's because Comcast owns the network. But um, Tom, hearing but, Rachel Maddow cry about news is just it's, it's uh, frustrating. Okay, I want, so you don't I like much the rather show. I, hear I get the it. News. Um, but, but let me finish my point if sure. I could. The news right now is from a framed narrative of the control, controlled oligarch. If, if you look at who owns the media, it's all stemming from the same money. So what I see is I see them framing the left and the right narratives, which is how they're controlling the topic. For instance, remember how everyone's talking about socialism and fascism and, and they're getting all wrapped up. And, and I had mentioned to you, I look at socialism and uh, uh, what is it? Capitalism as a form where they can't, you can't have one nation completely socialist without it being a communist nation, and you can't have a, a, a completely capitalist nation without it turning into a fascist nation. And so these definitions are thrown around on the networks like it's one or the other, just because some politicians right. are socialist, which means they just want to pass more socialist policies for the social you know, public. Yeah. But, but we, we wrap these things in, and they turn it into the left or the right, which dumbs down the public. And, and I'll finish it on this point, and I'll take my answer off the air, Tom. Uh, but, you know, for instance, we're, we're supposed to be upset. A lot of people, a lot of Democrats are telling me that the Russian election interference is a big problem. But the news isn't even talking about how the Democratic Party rigged a primary nomination in 2016. If we're supposed to be upset about Trump trying to influence, and you, you said, you know, the, the fake news on Facebook. What about what about all the false stuff that the mainstream news, that the TV channels are doing to Bernie Sanders? Yeah. Isn't that well, that's, that's, that falls into the category of what I'm trying to talk about here. I mean, there's been a Bernie Warren blackout going on for at least the last month or two, and arguably much, much longer. But, you know, your points are well taken, Robbie. Chuck in Redondo Beach, California. Hey, Chuck, what's on your mind here? Oh, yeah. I just had another data point for you for the media blackout of of Bernie. Bernie and AOC had a uh, rally in Venice Beach, which is about five miles north of here. And even the local news never even mentioned it. They had 15,000 people. I don't know how they get that many in Venice Beach. Whoa. And but, I've been to Venice Beach. Venice Beach probably doesn't have 15,000 people. It's, yeah, there'd be they had some place there. That, I don't know. They must sit on the street. Yeah. I had a friend who went and said it was crowded. And, and neither one of us heard anything on the local media. Yeah, 15,000 people with a member of Congress, the United States Senator running for president. And yet, if a Tea Party group with 300 people showed up you know, in a Koch Brothers-driven bus, uh, it was on the evening news. Yeah, and this is a nice liberal Southern California, too. Yeah, 
Yeah. Amazing. There you go. Okay, Chuck, thanks a lot for sharing that with us. Paul in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, hey Tom. Love your show. Thank you. Um, I was just thinking uh, that... Uh, if Chuck Todd was going to have a problem with Republicans being exposed uh, or if he got boycotted uh, for exposing them to the truth, uh, why couldn't they just take um, excerpts from Fox News and, uh, you know, take those interviews and, you know, discuss them with a round table or something or and the other thing, too, is... Yeah, it's I a possibility. Mean, yeah, the, an, an alternative, Paul, would be to have retired Republicans on, which is, by and large, what... Oh, what's her name? The woman who uh, ran part of the, uh, the McCain campaign. It was Sarah, She was right. Sarah Palin's handler. She's got a show on MSNBC in the afternoon. And, you know, she has David Jolly and all these, you know, Bill Crystal. these no Trump. She's a Republican. She gets the anti-Trump Republicans on. It's going to be interesting to see how those, those kind of shows go, you know, when Trump is out of office. But anyhow, back to you, Paul. Well, I, I think, too, that uh, they could expose the interviewers on Fox for who they are. I mean, like Sean Hannity is not a journalist major. He's uh, was a house painter and a college dropout. Right. So he's basically an infotainer, you know. Right. Now he's got so, a multi-million dollar real estate empire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these, these guys are paid millions of dollars by you know, wealthy people and, you know, uh, so they're just billionaires working for billionaires. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's that's something that, uh, you know, is, is, is worth keeping in mind. Paul, thanks a lot for the call. Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, I owe you an apology. A couple of weeks ago, you called in and I had earlier, I'd put a note next to your name that you had called earlier, which was from the previous week. And our call screener caught that and told you that you couldn't get on because you called earlier and it was wrong for the week. I apologize. But that said, we only have a half a minute. What's on your mind? I apologize oh, for that I too, Morris. You're a good man. No one's got the kind of character you got uh, on the airwaves anyway. Okay. I just want to let everybody know that there's a difference between journalism and commercialism. Mm. And commercialism is going to win out all the time. And if Chuck Todd don't want to wind up like Phil Donahue, he better read what's on that proctor, okay? And remember what Les Moonbez said. It's not good for the country, but it's good for their shareholders. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. In, in, in a half a minute, summarizing that so, so succinctly. Great to hear from you, Morris, and thanks for listening to KPFK. Ari in Eureka, California. Hey, Ari, thanks for listening to KGOE. What's up? Hi, Tom. You were uh, asking uh, what can we do about the media and what's wrong with the media. And yeah. I, I think it's two things. I think one is, is on the media side, they're just desperate for sound bites because we all have the attention span of a gnat. Yeah. And then on the audience side, n no one's learned critical thinking anymore. And so you just hear a statement and you accept it. And it's even worse now that we live in a world of alternative truths and alternative facts. Yeah. People can just go on television and say freaking anything. So what do we do about it? Well, <laughs> elect the right people. I think that's a great start. I, I really think that the media needs to start policing itself. They, the, you know, truth actually has to become a value once again. Back before the uh, before Reagan did away with the the fairness doctrine in 1987, 
There wasn't a specific requirement in the law that said that the news had to tell the truth, but it did say that the news had to, what was the exact phrase, support the public. No, it was called broadcasting in the public interest. That was the phrase. Well, it was yeah, from but, the Telecommunications Act of 1934. News- but now that the news is part of the entertainment divisions of all these companies, That's and right. and all these companies are like giant mega corporations, they're never going to act in our best interest. Never. Well, I think they may if we start if we stop tuning in. I mean, I pretty much in the last year or so, I pretty much stopped watching the Sunday shows altogether because I just can't deal with all the Republican lies that are not challenged, that go unchallenged, and if their numbers start really crashing. And it's not like I'm trying to lead a boycott here, but I, I just I can't believe that I'm the only person, the only consumer of these programs who has decided that they're just so pathetic that I no longer want to watch them. So, you know, maybe that'll do it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right. I got to move along. But thank you for the call. It was a thoughtful, insightful comment. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, what's up? <laughs> Hi, Tom. Hey. I originally called you know, because you were talking about what the TVs can say and not say, what mm-hmm. the broadcasters can say. Right. And um, a yeah. lot of people don't know that they got so mad at, uh, people got so mad at Rachel Maddow for talking bad or talking down to Senator Sanders that there is a new Facebook page t- to boycott MSNBC. Huh. There is also anger against... When did this happen? Uh, about two weeks ago. Oh, wow, I completely missed it. She had Bernie on her show and she treated it poorly? Well, it's the way she talks about him and talks to him. Uh-huh. And when he's not on the show, she's also dismissive. Yeah. And then well, she's not unique CNN, in that. I mean, that, she's not unique in that. You see that right across that network. Yes. So this has angered people. Yeah. And CNN has also said some dis- disparaging things. And so now there is a boycott anything advertised on CNN and MSNBC. Hmm. That's the only way is to vote against the, the networks is with your money. Yeah. But when it comes to Fox, most people don't understand that Fox Corporation is still registered in Australia. And so we have a foreign country, a foreign uh, corporation, uh, dictating what people think here in the United States and d- disrupting our citizens, our, our, the culture of the United States. And nobody bothers to think anything about the way it is affecting our culture. So news corp is wonderful and entertaining, but you have these foreigners who live in Australia, the four sons of Murdoch, the older four, the younger two from a different marriage, I don't think are involved with the corporation, I'm not sure. But they are essentially running Fox News and dictating to the American public what we're supposed to think. And this is a bit much you know, in in my opinion, yeah. and this has had a, we have more crime, we have hate, and this is because of Fox and what Trump has said. And if people don't understand this, they need to stop, step back and think about how it has disrupted our culture, our economy, and how it affects people's ability to get jobs because, oh, we don't hire those. We don't want those here. Right. You know, food rotted in the fields last summer because there weren't enough migrant workers. Nobody stops and think about who picks the lettuce, and it's right. a very nasty, dirty, hot job. Right, and, and Trump, you have to keep up with the machines, and you move faster, you get fired. You know, I get it. And, get and in fact, Trump didn't fire his undocumented immigrants until after the picking season was over. He just fired some people from his uh, Trump winery in Virginia. 
This is a hypocrite. Yeah, and <laughs> it definitely is. But your story about Fox News, uh, over the weekend, Louise and I went to see her over, the, uh, actually, I guess it was the day before yesterday, we went to see, uh, is it Bombshell? Uh, yeah, Bombshell is the name of the movie. It's a new movie about, uh, it's actually Gretchen Carlson's story. I was on Fox and Friends, and I met Gretchen Carlson, and she struck me as the only intelligent person on that set, between her and Steve Ducey and the other guy's name. And it's an amazing movie, Norma, if you want to talk about Fox News. And I would also refer you to the op-ed piece that former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald. It's easily easily searched for. It's titled, uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch is the cancer at the core of Australian democracy. And he talks about how Murdoch did this to Australia, then he moved to the UK and did it to the UK, and then he moved to the United States, and he's now doing it to the United States. And it's a pretty yes. grim read. So. And why did he get citizenship in one day? Yeah, I didn't know it was one day, but <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, too. Norma, thank you very much for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Tom Hartman here, the place where despair is not an option. I used to think New Year, New Me, but, you know, it's really more like New Year, New Rickles. With every passing year, we all look older. But now it's all changed thanks to this magic in a bottle, the Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It's like turning back the clock instead of ringing in another new year. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. Simply apply this powerful serum to problem areas and within 10 minutes, voila, a new younger you. And the best part, no surgery or Botox involved. It's all natural. I'm blown away by the results, and you will be too. Start 2020 with confidence, knowing Plexiderm gives you smoother, younger-looking skin in minutes, and it goes on clear so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles in the past with Plexiderm. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code HARTMAN. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TriPlexiderm.com today and use my code HARTMAN at checkout. That's TriPlexiderm.com, code HARTMAN. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Teresa in New York City listening on Sirius XM. Hey, Teresa, what's up? Hi, Tom Hartman. Hi, Teresa. I like show. I've been Thank listening you. for a little while. And you know how Trump makes the helicopters whirl while the media is asking him questions? Yeah. So he can't answer them. Well, it's partly so he can pretend that he didn't hear them and partly so that so that you can't hear the reporters' actual questions if they challenge him. But the media, they're not holding these um, people accountable for answering questions. They just let them. I mean, it almost feels cancerous, like it's causing cancer listening Mm -hmm. to them, Tom. I I just stopped listening. I, I. I'm looking for news. Yeah, it's it is become poisonous, and Trump and and the Republicans have, have become masters at using this um, solution ideas. Teresa, mm-hmm. solution, yes. Let our journalists have belly laughs, laugh at them hysterically, oh, and then that would upset you know them. just state the facts. <laughs> Wouldn't that upset them? Yeah. I don't know how to upset people, Tom. I think, I, <laughs> I think that being ridiculed is, is probably the one thing that you can do with Donald Trump that, that really gets him at his Thank core. Thank you. Thank you. So. Hit back. Punch back. We don't punch back. We don't stick together. If we stuck together, none of this would happen, Tom. Yeah, I'm with you. They use racism as an excuse. 
Oh, they I use it as a no weapon. No problem of who I am. I'm very proud of who I am. I'm an African American person, and I'm proud of it. Good on you. I wish I was darker, Tom. And it's just we should punch back. We should. I'm telling you, if the journalist that would make some good television for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. I would. I would mm -hmm. love to see one of these people just start hysterically laughing at, at Trump. He, he, you know, while he's doing his helicopter thing. Teresa, I got to move along. But thank you for the call. And thanks for listening to us. Mike in Lameda, California. Mike, we have uh, just a minute left. What's up? Hey, Tom, you wondered aloud whether the Chiron, the device that shows the text at the bottom of the TV screen, was named for Mr. Chiron. Right. You were right. Uh -huh. uh, Chiron was the wisest of the centaurs, the half-human, half-horse characters in Greek mythology. That's, and his name that's comes from Chiron? Or, or, I thought that was Chimera. No, Chi and Rho. You're talking about a different mythological creature. Oh, okay. Chi and Rho, the first two letters of the Greek alphabet, the uh, symbols of Christ in the uh, sacramental churches that you see in the iconography, right. and Cairo is a root that relates to handwriting. So that's where the name came from. So C-H-Y-R-O-N, which is how they pronounce it, I believe, is actually, the thing was named after a mythological creature or after a... The merger well, can, of, is it supposed to be like the way. merger of text and picture, and therefore it's a chiron. Well, no, it's just the first two letters. So it's like ABCs, mm -hmm. it's, and these were it's a universal symbol throughout the ancient world, and it's why you find it in all the uh, sacramental churches still Fasc today. As symbols stuff. of Christ. Thank you, Mike. First two letters of the alphabet. Sure, you got it. I'm telling you, I, have the, we, I am so blessed. We, I am sitting here every day with the smartest people on the planet. It's like we, we've got such cool listeners for this show. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Walter in Northridge, California. Hey, Walter, what's on your mind today? I frequently hear questions asked about how can this corrupt press be corralled. And just like the Federalists, have, have chosen to nominate people or support people who would make King George proud of them to sit on his bench, King George III, to sit on his bench. It seems to me that fraud is a document that comes from my earlier work. I'm not an attorney, but fraud, as I understood it, and I had considerable success changing civil service rules in L.A. County based on fraud, is a misrepresentation of relevant fact or facts upon which a person or people rely to their detriment. It seems to me that there ought to be, you just had this wonderful attorney on, uh, it, that the attorneys ought to get together and start to pursue, it seems to me, cases that charge Fox, for example, and stations that allow either intentionally or not. If they know it's a lie, that's actual fraud, as I understand it. If they don't know it's a lie, it's constructive fraud. Both of them are illegal. And clearly, the people are disadvantaged. There is a loss. And it seems to me that that might be a good way for people of goodwill to join together and follow the example of the, sleep, pardon the expression, sleazy Republicans who do all of this in order to increase profit, to increase personal participation in government, because it is fraudulent at its core, I believe. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a well-articulated position, Walter, and I particularly liked your definition of fraud, because it's just I super it's clean. Legal. But here's I the thing. I, I don't recall if it was the New York Times v. Sullivan case or another, but the Supreme Court, in, in, in numerous rulings over the years, uh, over the centuries, in fact, has held that of all circumstances in which the First Amendment, the right to free speech, applies, 
the greatest area where the courts have to grant deference to speakers is politics. That is the one area where it is entirely impermissible and inappropriate for uh, the courts to intervene. You could, you know, D Donald Trump could run an ad saying, uh, you know, send your $25,000 to Trump University and we guarantee you'll get a degree and you'll get a job, which he did. <laughs> I don't know if it was 25 grand, but basically that was, that was his fraud. And he was prosecuted for that. He had to pay a $25 million fine. He was successfully prosecuted. But for Donald Trump to say, elect me president, and I will bring job, you know, manufacturing jobs back to the United States. Well, in fact, today I got an email from him saying he's brought 10,000 factories back. And you go and you look at the fact-checking site in the New York Times, and they're like, yes, 10,000 companies uh, since Trump became president have registered themselves as manufacturing companies. 9,000 of them have zero to five employees. It's not like you know, <laughs> factories are being built, right? So, but you can't charge a politician with fraud. Yeah, you just can't. Well, and, you know, but, because... But Kind sir, it is it, that might be true that Mr. Hartman. There was a case in the South where they used bad terms regarding black people and so forth, and it was forced to run as well. But the but Hannity, people who interview and allow lies to go forward or repeat them, are different than these sleazy politicians who may have additional rights because of the role that they yeah but except but because of the first amendment the only way that you could regulate speech in the media um, and this went away in 1987 the only way you could regulate speech in the media was to require media to carry programming that is in the public interest that that was the explicit phrase from the from the telecommunications okay. act and and but you couldn't you couldn't regulate beyond that because of the supreme court saying that you know again uh, whether it's over the media or whether it's standing on a street corner with a bullhorn um, you can't regulate political speech walter i get your okay. point i think it's brilliant yes, i sir. love it um but i you know it ain't gonna happen uh, well, thank you again <laughs> for all that you do and the best of the new year to all the decent people there thank you back at you walter nice thank to hear you, from sir. you thank you to carlo and Lafayette, Indiana. Hey, DiCarlo, what's up? It says here you disagree with me about something. What did I miss? Well, I guess it's more of a correction point because okay. of something that you were bringing up in one of your uh, your analogies. You were bringing up the point of the Tootsies and the Hutus, and you were saying, oh, yeah, you know, it was horrible because it was started by the, it was started on the radio by the Hutus to go against the Tootsies. But the thing is, this is real African history. The real African history behind it was the Europeans had come in, sided with the Tootsies, to discriminate against the Hutus. Right. So what they did was is they made sure that those Hutus could not get good jobs, jobs that could support their families. They could go into certain areas. If their color, if they were too dark, they were stopped. If their noses were too broad, they were stopped and weren't able to go into places. They actually were able to measure these people's noses. This is what the Tutsis did to the Hutus. Whoa. So then when the Europeans leave, well, then guess what? Hey, okay, this is how you've treated us for decades. Right. That was the the recompense, or I guess the uh, yeah re retribution or retaliation. Thank you, Carlo, for that. Wait, wait, and I wanted yeah. to. Go ahead. Uh, and my thing with that was with the Hillary Clinton situation. I just I was going to ask. I don't understand why everyone continues to say that Hillary Clinton is over here and was such a good candidate when she didn't really do. Uh, you know, when she what she did with the DNC and actually usurped democracy. 
I mean, I, I'm a Democrat myself. I used to, uh, you know, I, I stand by it, but I just didn't understand that. Yeah, well, and Donna Brazile wrote a whole, par- a whole chapter in her autobiography apologizing to Bernie Sanders for what happened when she was the head of the DNC. I really think that we need to put 2016 behind us, though. I really do. Hillary Clinton oh, oh, yeah. is not on the ballot uh, this year. I realize Bernie Sanders is, and there are still a number of people who were Hillary supporters who are unhappy with him because he had the temerity to challenge her in 2016. They're going to have to get over it, or or they won't. You know, I can't say they're going to have to get over it. But, oh, but no, no, but I we, agree with you, but we, we need to stop trying to relitigate 2016. And, you know, Robbie kind of kicked it off early in the show by saying, oh, you know, the, the Democratic primary was rigged. Yeah, there were some problems with the Democratic primary. That's not today. So we just need to move forward. DiCarlo, thanks a lot for the call. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're reading today from Truth in Our Times by David E. McCraw, Deputy General Counsel of the New York Times, the number two lawyer for the New York Times. This is in chapter one, titled Election Day. It opens with a tweet from Donald Trump. The failing New York Times has been wrong about me from the very beginning. Said I would lose the primaries on the general election. Fake news. November 8, 2016. At 10 p.m., I made one last circuit of the newsroom. Our CEO, Mark Thompson, stood near the political desk, looking on with his wife and a small group of others connected somehow to the Times. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan remained in doubt, but the reality was sinking in. Donald Trump was on the verge of winning the American presidency. I'd been in newsrooms on election nights before. I know how it's supposed to be. The only thing that ever mattered was the horse race, think Gore Bush, or the historic moment, think Obama-McCain. There was no investment in which candidate was winning. He or she was destined to disappoint in the long run. And the dominant emotion was a certain not-quite-cynical detachment amid the electric buzz of the vote count and projections and the anticipation of relief that the endless push of the campaign was finally over. Sure, you couldn't ignore the victories or the big-picture moments, and the day-after stories would be celebratory in their way, duly restrained but with a nod to victory itself, not unlike the next-day account of a Super Bowl game or Game 7 of the World Series. Capture the triumph for a night, or relish the race too close to call. Leave the dancing and crying for others, for the believers. But this night was like no other election night. There had been an investment, not just journalistic, but spiritual. Donald Trump had campaigned not just against Hillary Clinton, but also against the New York Times and the American press, the mainstream American press. And his astonishing rise to the top of the Republican Party had been built on his near daily attacks on facts, on the very idea that facts matter. For journalists who approach truth like a secular religion and who have seen a thousand times before how a single true story could gut the political career of a lying politician, it had been a year of faith-shaking disbelief. A line had not just been crossed, but obliterated. The shock was palpable as the numbers came in laced for some with the fading hope for a different outcome among people who generally wanted nothing more than a story worth telling. And there was still a paper to put out, a reckoning to account for. It was too much on an already long night. I slipped away. At the elevators, I ran into Sue Craig and a guy who was obviously not from the Times. Sue had broken one of the biggest stories of the campaign. She was the one who went to her mailbox one day in September and found pages from Donald Trump's tax returns in an envelope. She introduced me to her acquaintance. He had once worked for Trump. I didn't ask why he was there. Like me, Sue had decided to get away. It's too weird here, she said. We all got on the elevator. Sue, who had written a devastating story about Trump, me, whose letter to Trump's lawyers had lit up the Internet for a week in October, and one of Trump's guys. We rode in silence, a strange tableau on the strangest night of the year.
14 hours earlier, as I came into the building, the Times security guard had called me over. They wanted to make sure I knew about the plans for the next morning. In the quirky ways that things happened at the Times, I had become the lawyer to see for all the things that security guys encountered, from the intruder who pilfered women's shoes to the anonymous letter weaponized with razor blades. The Times was printing thousands of extra newspapers, and tables were going to be set up outside for all the people who would be showing up to buy the New York Times for posterity's sake. The headline, I later learned, was going to read, Madam President. <clears throat> We'd been caught flat-footed eight years earlier when Barack Obama had made history. By the time I arrived for work early in the morning of the 2008 election, the line was already starting to snake down the sidewalk. Soon there were hundreds of Obama supporters who thought, and why wouldn't they, that the place to buy a copy of the New York Times was surely at the New York Times. Lots of things happened at the Times building. Selling newspapers is not one of them. Employees were pressed into emergency duty to cart bundles of newspapers from the Times printing plant in Queens, and the long lines outside the building stretched on into the afternoon. But it was Obama's victory in 2012 that was on my mind this morning. I vote in a neighborhood that is predominantly black and middle class. In 2012, following a drumbeat of stories about how Republicans hoped to suppress voter turnout, I walked into my polling place at a local school eight minutes after it opened. The line already extended back to the schoolhouse door. Did y'all sleep here, a guy wanted to know as he stepped into the foyer? On this morning in 2016, I had arrived before dawn. I was the only one in line at my precinct's table. That all seemed like a strangely distant memory as midnight approached. I had made my escape from the building with Sue and the Trump guy. At home, I sat alone in the glow of the TV screens as the states that mattered fell into place for the Republicans. I turned it off. Donald Trump was about to become president of the United States. The next morning, in a light drizzle on a gray November day, the newspaper sales tables were set up outside the building as planned. No one stopped. The vendors sat idly amid the stacks. There was no Madam President front page. Instead, the headline read, Trump Triumphs. And the first two paragraphs of the lead story talked about how the vote threatened convulsions throughout the country and made an early mention of those who had watched with alarm the rise of Trump. His victory represented a certain kind of hope that change was going to come at last. Truth in Our Times by David McCraw. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, kind of the head progressive guy or one of the two, along with Pramila Jayapal in the House of Representatives and represents the great state of Wisconsin. And his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep Mark Pocan, P-O-C-A. And Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. James in Spokane, Washington. Firstly, I'd just like to point out anybody that thinks this idiot in the Oval Office is not a racist must remember that Harriet Tubman is still not on the dollar coin. Congressman, we're in a Section 8 household here. The co-payment doubled uh, recently, and it was not insubstantial before. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that's going to inconvenience, to say the least. Anything you can say about that? Well, unfortunately, you know, this is, uh, again, back to what happens, why we say elections have consequences, although we're saying it three years after the presidential election. You know, there is a definite difference in uh, worldview that the Republicans and Democrats have, especially to people who are most needy, uh, whether it be food stamps, whether it be Section 8, whether it be any sort uh, of assistance. Um, we feel that people need a helping hand uh, and a lift up so they can... Uh, live their lives. And unfortunately, the Republicans use this all too often as a weaponized uh, issue, often around race and other issues uh, as well. 
But when you look at whether it be food stamps to uh, this, uh, you get a very different worldview and outcome from Republicans than you do Democrats. Dieting stinks, and it's hard. Changing your diet alone to keep New Year's resolutions can be a recipe for failure. So let me tell you what you need to help succeed this year. Riduzone, developed by doctors and backed by two U.S. patents, Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. OEA helps you feel full faster and burn stored fat while reducing your calorie intake. So adding Riduzone makes it easy to resist those fattening foods that go straight to your hips or waist. After trying Riduzone, dieters and doctors agree that it's the easiest way to maintain or lose weight. So this year, remember that dieting alone is just too hard. The easy way to keep your resolution and get your weight under control is Riduzone. Riduzone is exclusively available at Riduzone.com. Use the promo code Hartman with two N's to save up to 65% off your order. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Save up to 65% and get free shipping by using the promo code Hartman at Riduzone.com. That's Riduzone.com. Promo code Hartman. Russell in Hickory Hills, Illinois. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Since you've been off, have you been looking into restoring the voting rights for all these people who were purged off illegally? Because it sounds like that's illegal to kick them off like that. Yeah, Russell, on multiple bills, we've tried to address this. H.R. 1, the very first bill we did in Congress, uh, or numbered it in Congress, was our good government, good ethics, good election reform bill. Uh, had all sorts of provisions around that stopping the interstate cross-check process, etc. Since then, we've put other bills just dealing with elections and uh, interference uh, by other countries in our elections, and we included uh, some of that uh, in those bills as well, in case the Senate just needed a more narrow bill to pass to protect our elections. And once again, uh, along with the 400 bills we've sent to the Senate, 275, which were bipartisan. Uh, Mitch McConnell has taken up practically none of them, and there's been no actions really to protect our elections uh, through those bills. So um, we certainly want to address that. As you probably saw in Wisconsin right now, we're facing uh, a situation where a judge has ordered 200,000 people to be dropped. We're very concerned on that. And uh, But we absolutely have legislation in process to deal with that in Congress. Uh, Laura in Watertown, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman Pocan. Thank you very much for taking my call. Just real quick, I know you're running out of time, but um, what does it mean now that Trump is impeached in the House? What Does that diminish any of his powers? I'm not quite sure exactly what that means, especially if he's not removed in the Senate. Could you please just educate us a little bit on what this means that he's impeached now? Yeah, because I think the process is, is continuing, although I think I can already guess the result that will happen in the Senate, nothing has technically happened to the president. I know there's some people who are viewing some words in law to mean that there could be some diminished ability. I have not seen that, though, to be verified anywhere. But as has happened previously in history, when people have been impeached by one house and not the other, it is still a forever a black mark on that person that they are did something that was impeachable, that it was a statement about their actions that were improper. But we can only hope that the Senate will do more. I just would not place a bet on that. Tamara, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. As a disabled person, I'm a little concerned about what Tom talked about yesterday with Trump's executive order towards 
people on SSDI and SSI. And I, I hate to say it, but I feel like if Congress doesn't do something to stop this executive order, then me and my fellow disabled people will become Trump's final solution. This was the, uh, I reported on this yesterday, Congressman, Trump is proposing that people on Social Security Disability or SSI have to essentially reapply or prove their disability every six months. Uh, and the, Reagan, Reagan tried this back in 87, and uh, over 10,000 people died before he uh, withdrew the thing. And I'm sorry, I missed my time cue. Uh, quick, quick comment. Yeah, and, and we've seen this done by people like Scott Walker's governors and others, that you attack the poor as if they're the problem uh, or the people who are disabled as if they're the problem. And you come up with solutions that actually cost us more or don't serve the final goal. And this is another example. Yeah, amen. Congressman Mark Pocan, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, taking your calls for the hour. Congressman, um, the, the caller just before the uh, break was, uh, you know, we were talking about the news reports that uh, Trump was planning to require people on Social Security disability to renew their uh, uh, authorization or prove their disability, I guess, uh, every six months. And, and you were talking about how that would be a bad thing. Now, one of the questions she asked, though, was, is Congress going to do anything about that? And I, and I know we ran out of time before you got an opportunity to answer that. Yeah, the music came on. <clears throat> I, I'm sure in the House we will, uh, at minimum, I'm sure letters have already started that we've put out to try to address it. The problem is in the Senate. Um, I don't know if you will see the Senate take up anything, and if they don't, uh, you won't have Congress's say um, in order to try to, to overturn it. So uh, it's something that we have to probably build some public support for and uh, have people call their senators uh, in particular to take action. Okay, cool. Thank you. Andy in Grand Rapids, Michigan, listening to WPRR. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. I got one question and a one um, thing I noticed. I don't need access to health care. I need affordable health care because... I can get access at $1,000 a month, but I can't afford it. And uh, another thing, are, uh, it seems to me that the Republicans and Trump, are they seem to be changing the Constitution right before our eyes. I mean, all of a sudden, the Emoluments Clause means nothing. They're over there. They're, you know, he's taken off and he's doing, I mean, everything is by executive order, you know, and, and it just, we don't get, two parties to look at it. It just seems like they're changing the Constitution right before our eyes, and, you know, there's nothing we're doing about it. So the first part, I take your point on accessible. I think, you know, for many of us, Medicare for All is the best response, a single-payer system. In fact, uh, Pramila Jayapal, uh, my co-chair in the Progressive Caucus, and I are uh, next Saturday in Des Moines at 9.30 in the morning doing um, a panel on Medicare for All. We want to have this public conversation. Unfortunately, I think some of the presidential campaigns have uh, weakened the position on the issue, and uh, we need to shore it up because, again, this is a, a strongly supported uh, issue by the public when they have the actual facts. 
secondly, I couldn't agree more that this president and this administration has treated the Constitution not as the document it is, but as a mere list of suggestions that he is not going to follow. And uh, that's part of the fight that we are having, I think, every single day in trying to uh, get this president to follow the law. Charles in Miami, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Okay, first of all, I think uh, Mike Pompeo is anonymous, but my question is this. How can we trust a draft dodger, someone with no military experience, to not only pull our troops out of North Syria, but, and he's benefited Erdogan, he's benefiting Putin, and now by doing this, he's also benefited himself and the Republicans' party by distracting us, but MBS in Saudi Arabia, they, they fought a proxy war in Yemen. And this, I mean, are we, are these countries using us in our military as mercenaries? That's the question. Hmm, that's a good one. Yeah, Charles, directly, we are almost being used as mercenaries by allowing the Saudis to contract us. I mean, that, that's a, a pretty bizarre, bizarre development, especially given uh, that we still don't have resolution on a, a, a journalist who, re, who lived in the United States who got killed, uh, likely under the direction of the crown prince. But everything about our interactions in the Middle East should be looked at and reexamined. And really, unfortunately, under the lens of climate change, so many of the reasons why we're there are the wrong reasons. Congressman, thanks so much for being with us this week. Thank you, Tom, as always. Appreciate it. It's great talking with you. Congressman Mark Pocan, and uh, you can check out his website at pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Johnny in Galveston, Texas. Hey, Johnny, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, can you hear me? I didn't hear the sound. Yeah, you're on the air, Johnny. Uh, you got a little bit of static on your line, but otherwise it sounds fine. What's up? Okay, well, happy holidays related to you and your loved ones, and a hopeful new year for everybody. Thank you. Back at you. I got to push back a little bit on this idea about Chuck Todd finally seeing the light in regards to how Donald Trump and the Republicans, by implication, have been given supreme coverage, slanted coverage, to the point of manipulation of our of the American consumer, media consumer. It kind of makes me think of Alan Greenspan, I think it was, who made a pseudo-apology and epiphany in front of Congress back in the day about trickle-down economics. You remember that? Yes, and David Sockman did the same thing. But, yeah. but Greenspan's was particularly difficult because he had been in favor of uh, deregulating the banks in 99 and doing away with Glass-Steagall. And, and that was, you know, arguably the thing that led to it. Although I think his apology was after the, maybe it was after the SNL collapse and they brought in Bill Seidman to put him back together. In any case, yeah, yeah I get, I get what you're saying. retired, by the yeah. way, which is really convenient. I see that all the time. Yeah, yeah. My contention is that Chuck Todd, just like some of the people over at Fox, they see the writing on the wall. They've made their money for the corporations, and now it's okay, it's safe to take their positions more hostile towards Donald Trump and even some Republicans. Even Rush Limbaugh, back in 1992, he quote-unquote regrettably endorsed Bill Clinton. You remember that? No, I don't. Yeah, go back and look for it. It's amazing. I was, so, I was laughing because I could, I could see his audience getting mad at him and, and you know, throwing a hissy. Well, he, no, you know, the, the, the 92 election of Bill Clinton was what made Rush Limbaugh's show. I mean, so, you know, I, I can't, you know, but it's hard to imagine anybody would be that crazy. And my you want to hear it. I think we should reinstitutionalize or institutionalize the Corporation for Public Broadcasting in the Constitution right up there with uh, the Postal Service and provide permanent funding where it can't be touched. 
That way they can reinvigorate NPR and get those right wingers out of there. Well, NPR is doing really well as radio. You know, NPR is has, basically dominates the radio landscape, which is which is pretty impressive. And that's of course why uh, the the right wing billionaires are donating to NPR and the right wing think tanks are showing up on NPR. And and now I'm starting to hear these lies on NPR. And even I, you know, I remember when Cory Gardner was running for the Senate, and he had been one of these you know fundamentalist anti-abortion guys and Mar. Eliason uh, went on, who's, you know, their political, head political person, and, you know, clearly has Republican leanings and went on and said, no, no, you know, he's not like that at all. Um, the week before the election, <laughs> it just made me crazy. I talked about it on the air for a half a week because it made me crazy. But their television side is struggling. And I think it's because, you know, television is a very active medium and you have to have good production values and you have to have, you know, really, really solidly interesting programming. I think, you know, uh, Amy Goodman does a really good job of that. Johnny, thank you for the call. Um, You know, her program is like, it's really hard not to watch. I mean, it's just like there's just like one shocking thing after another. I view Amy Goodman, who's on Free Speech TV, by the way, uh, at freespeech.org. I view Amy Goodman as the Walter Cronkite of our era. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.